0: All right, this episode is from the archives, from a show I did a couple years back with the content wrangler, Scott Abel, and cognitive neuroscientist, Carmen Simon. And the book we created was called Cultivating Brand Loyalty. And this particular episode focuses on creating exceptional customer experiences with content. And so the concepts behind it are still so relevant today. The, the information is amazing. So listen to this show. Tell me what you think about pulling some of the shows from the archives and what you think about Scott Abel and, and Carmen Simon and what this episode means to you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Mitchell Levy Presents that originally came from Thought Leader Life. Bye now. Hi, this is Mitchell Levy and welcome to the 84th episode of Thought Leader Life. It is amazing to be here. We've had five phenomenal, how about I say, we've had four phenomenal sessions. We're now looking forward to our fifth um, with Scott Abel, the content wrangler, who's been the co-host for the month. And Scott, I'm just amazingly impressed with your, your singular focus, the quality of the people you bring on, the stuff that you do in conferences. Just uh, the, you are the content wrangler. Scott Abel, welcome to the program.
1: Ah, uh, Well, thank you, Mitchell. I appreciate you having me today. It's been one of those, uh, w- one of those busy months, and I'm so glad that all the people that I tried to wrangle up were able to do this and, and talk on the show with us and have great interviews like we're getting ready to have with our guest today. I'm super excited.
0: Cool. Well, yeah, you also, the, I guess, the, the content and people wrangler, the, the new subtitle. Yeah.
1: But- <laughs> Yeah, I think that that I'm going to have to have an alteration of my moniker.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's been great, and I I have to tell you, I love the preliminary conversation that I've had with your guest, Carmen Simon, who's a double PhD, a cognitive neuroscientist at Rexy Media. God, I think I got that all right. Uh, Carmen, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, I'm looking forward to it. So what I wanted to start off with is is the basic question we've been covering throughout the month and that is using content to drive an exceptional customer experience is really what we've been talking about the entire time. We've had lots of conversations on this. Uh, what's your viewpoint on that, Carmen?
2: I love that you're linking good content with exceptional experiences and my entry point to this is how do we create content that people remember because after all if content is expected to impact experiences the best experiences we have are the ones that we in fact remember. I would be curious to know uh, what's a recent experience that you guys have had in your personal lives that is still on your mind?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I, I can tell you that mine is uh, that I am constantly aware of bad experiences because of one memorable good experience. And I've kind of recognized that lately. I've become intolerant of um, inadequate customer experiences in any retail environment because of the Apple Store. Mm -hmm. The Apple Store has changed what I expect from a customer experience, because in my experiences, which are, you know, personal and and they're memorable because they've made them that way, now I judge other, I mean, like almost anyone (laughs) who provides service on on this kind of maybe unfair at first um, um, scale, right, that that I've, I've identified as this is the top. Right, mm-hmm. and, and now no one is getting up to there, so they're all failing me. They, they. So I feel like I either have to set my expectations lower <laughs> to give people a chance, or I should identify the strengths that the Apple experience provides and see if there are ways that we can teach other people mm-hmm. to borrow some of those concepts.
2: And but, and to get to yeah, Mitchell, did you have any a, mem- a memorable experience?
0: So, so Scott, I was definitely going to say it's the latter. I mean, you you really want to help particularly with your role in what you do, you want to help people get better and do more. As a matter of fact, I remembered you and I having, I think this might have been a private conversation about how cool the Apple experience was. So it influenced me this weekend as I was walking past an Apple store on Sunday with my wife who is was in desperate need of a new phone. Instead of the horrible experience of going into a Verizon store because we're stuck on the Verizon system. Instead of that horrible experience, we're walking past an Apple store and I said, wait Scott Abel had a great experience, I'm going to go and have a, a great experience as well. And literally we went into the store we had this really cool guy who, who helped my wife, now you'll love this, helped her decide that it was okay that she gets the Apple 5 versus Apple 6. All right. right, of course. And it's int- because they don't care, right? They don't care about they- what they say. What do you want to use it for? Oh, based on what you want to use it, this is- you, want- you like this form factor better. You- you're not going to miss any functionality in a 6, and you feel comfortable about that, right? Yeah. So, yeah. That's yeah. I love that. Um, Carmen, generally speaking, experiences I remember are things outside the norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had my-, my nieces were here uh, last night, and we spent time with them, so that was fun. Um, I uh, we bought a car recently. So we talked about that on the show. That that was fun. things that, that turned out to be very favorable. That I that I remember, and then I could share. Um, I came back from four weeks in Ireland, right? So there there are definitely pockets of good things. But for me, it, if there's a good experience, I share it socially. And then, of course, there are people who it's really interesting. There are people who I have conversations with since I've been back who I hadn't talked to in a couple months but they they told me what a good time I had in Ireland and it was just it was interesting because they followed me socially and they go I'm glad you did that. oh how was the Guinness in that pub you went to and and it was just really fascinating to me that they were part of my lives even though I didn't actually have a physical conversation with them
2: So to extract some uh, practical guidelines out of this especially as we consider the concept of uh, memorable content and therefore memorable experiences we would have to define experiences in such a way that we can grab we can wrap our minds around those because once you define a concept that is fairly abstract such as an experience what is an experience really once you can define it then you can find better ways to attach practical guidelines to it, and also measure whether you've done it as well as an Apple store, or you've done it as well as an experience at the car dealership or traveling to a foreign country, or as poorly as some other negative examples. And um, I believe that the experience has, has three components into it. Usually there is a thing that is attached to it, and maybe that's what we mean by content, but it's a, it's a fairly tangible thing that you extract out of it an experience is also attached to something that is uh, of the nature of an activity so there is something that you did so you went for at the store for a phone which is the thing and for an activity which is to buy it or to talk to a a rep and the third component is uh, there is a significant change that happens in that person's mind who goes to the experience so there's something transformational about it. it can be of a small magnitude or or a higher magnitude but usually it's those three components a thing an activity and a significant change that happens and the reason that you still have those experiences that you shared with me in your mind is because those three contributed to uh, to that memory and usually it's distinctiveness just like you mentioned the reason I'm remembering things is because they stand out from the norm when we retrieve memories, we retrieve them because something is distinct and is it's moving away from from a pattern. Can you kind of relate to some experiences that you've had, maybe positive, negative, in terms of those three three items?
1: Oh, sure. I mean, you go to a restaurant and you expect, and, and and you travel a lot, like I do. Then you have a lot of mediocre experiences. So when you have a good one, it becomes a memorable one, and that mm-hmm. kind of like that restaurant goes on the short list for a restaurants. The next time someone asks you, you say, I know of this place, right? So maybe it's because there was something exceptional about it. And it it doesn't have to be better than every restaurant if it's just better than the normal. It kind Mm -hmm. of goes onto a different list. Do you think the brain segments things that way?
2: Yeah. So, as you look at uh, at memory retrieval, how do how do things really come to mind? They come to mind in several ways, but one of the more more poignant ways is when an item deviates from from the norm. So, if you have a series of unhappy unhappy moments, unhappy moments, unhappy moments, suddenly something that is happy will tend to stand out a little bit more. So, as you look at the distribution of of stimuli that you have over a, a temporal distance, so to speak. Then when something deviates, then you have more chances to go and and put put your attention a little bit more there and extract some, uh, some meaning out of it. But I guarantee that in any of those experiences, if those three elements didn't converge, then it would still not be... I mean, a, a good experience. So for instance, if you still had an activity and if you still extracted something meaningful out of that, but it didn't transform you in any way, it didn't have some some significance attached to it, people would not consider it a good or an exceptional experience.
1: True. And I think when I've taken your course, and it's a very good one, by the way, and I recommend it for everyone. Um, Rexy Media offers some great uh, one and two day courses and some uh, different configurations, but check it out online and and learn about that. But when you were teaching, you were also teaching us to deliver a presentation with some kind of intent in mind. In other words, what did you want the user to bring away, to take away from this? Did you want them to ask you something? Yes, I want to buy what you sell. Can I buy this? Uh, Or did you want to entertain them? Or what were you trying to do? And I remember my first... um, time interacting with you, it became clear that I was good at a lot of things in the presentation department, but I wasn't clear about exactly what I was trying to do. I knew my Mm -hmm. subject, I knew the title, I knew I gave a description and I want to deliver to the audience what I promised. But there was no other intent for me. And so do you think that a lot of communication is clouded by our ideas that we need to communicate quickly and we don't necessarily take the time? before we communicate, to think about what is the intent, how will we map our, our desires onto another human being so they want to remember and they, and, and mm-hmm. they will uh, view us in a positive light.
2: It's true. When we look at uh, memory, we look at it uh, in in this way. Any stimulus that you're exposed to, regardless of how small or how big, if you were to reflect on that days later, it's likely that you'll have taken away about uh, 10% out of that experience. And I use 10% as metaphorically. It's not exactly 10%. Usually, in terms of uh, a scientific research, memory has a, a forgetting curve. So anytime you're exposed to something, you tend to retain it at first. But then the memory tapers off and fades off, and it fades off, and it fades off, until if, if I were to call you in two days after I have shown you some slides, for instance, it's likely that you'll have retained about uh, 10%. Well, it's also likely that you'll have retained 18% or maybe only 2% depending on a lot of other variables, but on average, let's refer to that as the metaphorical 10% that people tend to remember after 40 okay. hours. And the trouble is this, it's, it's what you were outlining earlier, which is that 10% tends to, to be random. So, let's just say that I spoke to you and I spoke to Mitchell and maybe we had five other people here on the session. and my 10% unless I think about it clearly ahead of time and almost scientifically so to speak and I have a hypothesis saying by the end of the session I know that my 10% is going to be this if we don't think of it clearly and, and with a scientific method so to speak it tends to be random so your 10% is going to be different than Mitchell's 10% is going to be uh, different than my 10%
1: of course right there are 10 10% and 100% to choose from
2: Yeah. <laughs> exactly so unless you you take control over that and not leave it to chance then that's when the communication breaks and the memory breaks as well because i remember attending a conference a while back and after the 45 minutes for that keynote speaker the only thing that i remember is that he said 17% of people in italy believe that it's okay to have sex and text at the same time and i'm um, the keynote speech was about something else entirely but I just remember that random piece of fact that was my 10 percent and I'm sure that if I had told him after the fact look this is what I extracted from your presentation he would have been very disappointed because a lot of people put so much effort and so much wisdom into what they have to say and yet if you don't control your 10 percent audiences walk away with something that may be totally random
1: Wow I, yeah, I think this is more and more interesting the more we think about it. I also wonder because of my role as a thought leader trying to get people to think differently about creating content, I wonder if we have ever, have you ever thought about ways to take the lessons that you teach and code them into authoring tools to help, maybe even only as tips, to help people Because I think what happens is we we attend a session or a workshop, even yours, where you repeat the 10%, but Mm -hmm. we have all this stuff in our head, right? We have fear. We have expectations. We have all, all the emotions. And I think sometimes we go back to the office and it's easier to resort to your old tactics and habits and patterns, even though you know about the new ones and you believe the new ones but until maybe your work process changes and you repeat it over and over and over again, it doesn't become a habit. Is this also something that you've learned?
2: Yes, for sure. Now, I'm curious how you think about this. This is what I've been rest- studying lately and I've been researching and I've come to this conclusion. We would like our audiences obviously to act on what we say, which is why memory is important to begin with. Why is it critical that people remember our content or our experiences? Is because right. we would like them to do something when we are no longer together in in the same room. So that's good. But then we ask the question, how is it that people decide to do something? And what research is showing us is that we make decisions in three ways. One is a reflexive decision. We respond to things reflexively just because in our bodies, in our brains, we have pre-wired responses such as it doesn't take a lot of trials for you to put your hand on the stove and for you to retrieve right, it. You know right. that reflexively. That's a decision. It's um, one that's not conditioned in, in any way. It's It just is. Another is what you're talking about which is we make decisions based on habits. We have been doing so many things in the same way every single darn day or every single Single darn time that we are right. exposed to that stimulus, we react in the same way. So, for instance, the click to add text here in PowerPoint, one of the reasons people develop bad presentations is because they just simply indulge bad habits. That's that's all it is. Right. And then the third way that we make decisions is in a goal oriented way. So, when we consciously think about something and say, okay, from here on, I'm not going to eat chocolate every single day, which has been a habit until now, but from here on, things are going to change around here. That means I have to add more willpower and more cognitive effort, so unlike reflexes and habits which are subconscious, habits are conscious at first, but after a while you don't have to think about them anymore. Right. So when in the goal-oriented way, you actually have to think about things, and this is what happens after people are exposed to content and they go away. We underestimate the power of reflexes and the power of habits, and we... we rely on people's cognitive effort and on their goals for them to follow through. But often people are so tired and so uh, sometimes even disillusioned, sometimes overwhelmed by what's going on. They don't have have time to think about the the new ways. So one of the easiest ways to get people to make decisions in your favor and, and to remember what it is to say is first ask, can I hook what I'm saying into habits that they already have?
1: Wow. Can you
2: tell me, can you tell me, like for instance, something that you have learned lately that you're applying it just because it was so easily hooked into a habit that you already had?
1: Yeah, I mean, some of the neuroscience lessons about slide uh, design and graphic presentation while I'm speaking are things that I have actually started to implement all mm-hmm. the time because I desire it. Like it's a high high motivation factor on my part. But I it sounds like it's more
2: goal-based. You have a goal of, right. of changing that. So you my, have my to actually is, think about it.
1: You know, To get better over time. And so I realize that because I'm aiming at a goal, this mm-hmm. is just one of the things I must do to check off my goal, right? Yes, Whereas yes. if somebody wants me to change the way I present, mm-hmm. and it doesn't map to my goal, I might hear them, and I might even find one tidbit valuable, but I probably won't adopt it as habit.
2: Yes, and you can go a level even lower because let's just say that I was teaching you some new presentation techniques. And I know that you have that as a goal, so we're already mapped there, but that still requires you to think about it. If I wanted to get to your behavioral change in an even easier way, I would have to find a way that you already have some habits and hook into those. Like for instance, if I knew that you're already using PowerPoint, imagine if I said, okay, so you have some goals, what if we all of a sudden use Prezi? So see how that would make it a little bit harder because I'm not hooking into habits that you already have. So for all content creators out there, and it's not the easiest thing to do, but definitely one of the most rewarding is that if you can identify habits that already exist within your audience and hook into those for any new content you want to preach, then that's a much easier entry point versus immediately appealing to goals. So
1: I have just one more question about that subject, and that is in a situation where a paradigm shift needs to occur and the difference is significant... We call those transformations, right? Big, ha- big fat, hairy change problems that yes. can in- induce fear and things of that nature. So I understand the hooking to something familiar. But what happens when we're asking them to change something significantly in order to produce familiar content? So they're used to producing this content. It's the way in which we want them to do it when it is different. What might be a strategy to try to get them to come along for the ride? And and a certain percentage of them seem to come along anyway, and maybe this is just the nature of human beings. Some people like to change and others are afraid. But what, what are your thoughts on trying to do a paradigm change?
2: The best changes that I see are the ones that are not overly abundant all at once. So some people want people to change, let's just say, five things all at once. When it might be easier to change only first two, and for the rest, still enforce something that does work from previous habits. Because anything that you do right now, whether it's personally or professionally, it's, you can't really say that everything is wrong suddenly. Right. Surely you'll find something that is still working, and on top of that, you want to add some some new techniques. Whereas where a lot of people go wrong is that they want to remove all of the past, not hook into anything there and then suddenly everything changes. So if you can mediate that a little bit and not go for too much novelty all at once, but for a good proportion between habit plus novelty, you'll have a much, much easier time. And also catch that at a time that is a transition for everyone. Because for instance, let's just say that I wanted to sell you a new uh, bus ticket for this route where the bus goes and I would want to encourage you to take the bus to work more often because obviously it's better for everyone but up until now you've never taken the bus you just enjoy your car we'll talk to Mitchell he just bought a new car imagine if I tried to to sell Mitchell a, a new bus ticket how would he feel and the only time that I can influence his change is if Mitchell suddenly changed houses and he moved from his neighborhood to somewhere else and now suddenly he's focused and his Surrounded by cues that are no longer familiar, because you see the reason that we act based on habits is because we have all those environmental cues that remind us of old routines. So if you catch somebody during a transition period when they change offices, they change locations, they change presentation tools, change anything, that's when you have a much easier entry point to something that is new to you and to them to make it stick a little bit more because now you're removing the cues that are reminiscent of old routines. Mitchell, can you kind of? Could I? Convince you to buy a buy ticket uh, to buy a bus ticket if you were to uh, move somewhere I, I, I else.
0: Think, I think you can convince me to buy a bus ticket regardless of whether or not I've leased a new car. But um, but <laughs> I, I I by the way had a reflective experience because just as you guys are talking, there's somebody outside with a gardener tool making lots of noise. So I put myself mute. Yeah. So I apologize for that and. And I realized when I introduced this show, I introduced it incorrectly. So let me introduce it again. This is Mitchell Levy. Welcome to Thought Leader Life number 84 with with Dr. Carmen Simon, who happens to have today guests, Scott Abel and Mitchell Levy. Carmen, thanks for having <laughs> us. On the
2: show. That's I sweet. That. I like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I was thinking a lot about Your 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 conversation, um, and I, there's a part of it that for me personally, I'm continually trying to get to catch people in a habit, and that is with this concept the of the aha amplifier, because because people now can relate with the word aha, they they get it, you know, it's this this concept, this content, something that makes them sort of hit themselves in the side of the head and go aha, I get it, I'm gonna either take an action to do something different, so what I'm trying to do is now get on top of that and get organizations to figure out how do you capture all these ahas in a way that it's it's in a particular location set so that you can then reshare it not just among each other but also among all the constituencies, all the advocates who care about you mm-hmm. and that's kind of where I'm, I'm liking the conversation and I'm, I just keep trying to find those those incremental points of tying into existing habits that allow people well, that, to do that.
1: That's really interesting, Mitchell, because asking people to think about ahas and distributing and, and storing them in a single place and pushing them out to multiple formats is not probably a habit. It's not really, no. So I think Karma's lessons are really appropriate for your strategy to try to get people to use ahas to create them, to consume them, to share them, because... Sure, we may share Facebook page, but the whole idea that functionality in a software browser from one website to another differs, I can see my constituents, my customers, they say, no, why did you invent a new way to do comments? Why can't you just have comments the way they are on Facebook? So maybe what Carmen is also pointing out is these these things that become the de facto way to do things, they're harder to make people want to change because they're like, comfortable doing it the way they currently do.
2: They sure are. They're comfortable and uh, even beyond comfort, there is this component of uh, saving mental energy. Save the brain is designed to to conserve energy any chance it gets, which is why people fall asleep during presentations. If you get a chance to conserve energy, you will take that chance.
0: Wow. Not during one of and, my presentations. Not during one of Scott's presentations. Uh, <laughs>
1: I'll say that.
2: <laughs> during other people's presentations that we may know about. The brain is designed to to conserve energy. So if you if you hook into some of the existing habits, that means they don't have to think that much. And given the choice to think or not to think, for anyone from our audiences, they will choose the the path of least resistance, the path of the least cognitive effort.
0: You know, so you're i I'm going to interrupt just for one second, if you don't yeah. mind. You're the third person who has said that this week alone, and and what they and the comment is very specific to me. And they go, Mitchell, you're requiring your audience to think and you need to make it so they, that they don't.
2: Mm-hmm. Not fully though because that doesn't mean that you're going to appeal to brain dead people because after a while, if there isn't so much mental engagement, that will lead to habituation and that will lead to boredom. All I'm saying is that you'll have a much easier time to inflict your or, or insert your, your changes in your novelty if they're hooked into some existing habits versus going for too much novelty all at once. The mistake that sometimes we make is that we are so enamored with content that we have and the abundance that we can share with other people that we like everything to be new. And to a certain degree, novelty does sustain attention, therefore creates memory because attention paves the way to memory. But it will feel good in the moment because while the brain is designed to conserve energy, it is also designed not to miss anything because when you don't miss stimuli in your environment, then you improve your biological fitness. So we enjoy novelty, we enjoy stimulation, that's why we can watch Avatar for almost three hours things change so very quickly that it's impossible to to move away and and go make a sandwich but what do you remember afterwards that's the bigger question because while novelty feels great in the moment and you will attend to it later on you'll probably not have that many things to still recall because there wasn't anything that either hooked into a habit that's already memorable because it's part of you or it didn't give you that uh, distinction that you needed to for something that does deviate from the pattern So it's intriguing to me because a lot of people said, oh, sameness, sameness, sameness. Let's deviate from sameness because that's forgettable, obviously. And they do it at the other extreme where there's so much stimulation where still nothing deviates from the pattern. So sometimes for forgettable experiences or forgettable content, we reside between two extremes. Either there are so many things that are like many other things, and that's interference. You don't know which one was which two days later. Or... You go for so much stimulation and so much variety, where still nothing stands out. So therefore, you still don't remember anything because there was nothing that uh, that deviated from the pattern.
0: I'm wow. gonna Scott. I'll let I'll let you do your thing. I just I'm sitting here thinking a- aggressively about the habits that people are trying to do to incorporate sort of ahas and sharing. And the thing that I the thing that I came up, I'd love to get your immediate reactions, guys, and, I'll, and I'll, Scott let you do your thing, is I think as human beings, we we want to learn, we want to grow, and we want to help others. And I think that's, I think those are natural habits that we all have. Do you, how does that, does that grab you at all? I mean, is that true or not true? Am I, did I miss something?
2: Reflexive, yeah, for, for, for sure. Altruism is a reflexive response, no doubt about it, because we could only improve our biological fitness if we helped the king. You didn't survive on your own. So if we were to list other reflexive responses such as our reaction to uh, bad smells, for instance, or our reactions to sex or our reactions to other socializing around other people, that is definitely, definitely one of them. You enjoy helping others to the same extent that you enjoy saying yes to flowers or saying yes to play.
1: Hmm. Got it. I think that there's tons of lessons learned hidden in there. Um, You know, Carmen, we've been trying to teach people for the last, oh, I don't know, 15 years that there are different ways to think about creating content that are more programmatic, that work more like computers, that would be more efficient. And when I do a good job of explaining it, the people nod their head and say, yes, I agree, that could be better, and then they don't do it.
2: Yes, and I think yes. maybe
1: part of this is the fear and the change, but it's also the volume of changes I want them to make. And, of course, I say, because logically they disagreed with me, if you agree, why wouldn't you just do it?
2: <laughs> well, so we, we don't work that way, do we? We don't. And, and here are some studies that, uh, that will confirm this for, for all of us. I'll start with rats first because sometimes okay. it's easier to start there. So you take some rats and you have them in a, in a lab and you train them that when they press a specific lever they get food and when they press another lever they don't get anything. So okay. after a while they will know which lever to press in order to get that food and they are willing to go through the effort to press the lever which is not an, an easy thing to do because mm-hmm. reward. So you do it the, do the long enough they go almost on, on autopilot and on habit. They know that each time they press that lever they can get the food and they do the effort and after a while scientists are wondering well what happens if suddenly we can just give them all the food they want will they still press the lever and the answer depends on how long have they been trained for because if they haven't been trained for so much they'll press the lever get the food but after a while they realize oh wait a second I can get all the food I want I don't have to do the work And they don't, but if you have trained them for so long, they will still press the lever even though they can get as much food as they want and the studies have been replicated in humans as well and i think that in our content distribution efforts we underestimate the power of how ingrained some of our memories are from older routines and we underappreciate those and if we if we took a little bit longer to 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 be cautious about people know so many things to to do already and to add a novelty onto that and too much all at the, same, at the same time it's it's not very easy, so it's no wonder that people will agree, yeah 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 all the things that you're saying are just they're brilliant and they turn around and they don't do them because imagine, put yourself in their shoes, you go back to your desks which one will be easier to do, the old thing or, or, right. or the new thing?
1: <laughs> and you know I think this also plays a role in children of course they're in a learning mode when they're let's say, two years old or so. And so everything is an experience for them that will later inform who they are and and how they behave. But Mm -hmm. if you've seen the YouTube video, there's a young lady. She's a young girl. She's two or three years old. And she has never in her household been exposed to a printed book, a child's book. And they make a video of her. If you've seen this video, it's hysterical. It's amazing. she starts pressing on and swiping. And when nothing happens, she picks it up, she shakes it, it still doesn't do anything. So she throws it across the room and starts crying. Like the book is broken. It is broken. The book is broken. And so for her, she doesn't have any previous memory of how it's supposed to work. Her current memory is her previous, right? Like her short life. She's been I'm not
2: surprised and keep this in mind that attention paves the way to new memories. So we tend to the brain literally sees more of what it, what it already knows. This is huge we we physically and literally tend to see more of that which we already know and when we look at this book and we expect it to to function in a certain way and suddenly it, it doesn't we don't we don't know it and it's just so difficult to be exposed to so much change all at once. I see the same thing in um, in airplanes my husband is a pilot, so when you have this these tiny little kids entering the cockpit, which sometimes uh, pilots will allow them to do as, uh, as they're sitting there at the, the gate and they want to, to see what buttons do and what's what's what, and they try to swipe on those displays. And <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I, I think this is all incorporating science into the way that we think about our creative endeavors, such as creating information or graphics or videos or presentations, is a, it's a great topic. I'm so glad that you share uh, all of your lessons learned with us because I think it's important. The last point I wanted to make to see if what you, your thoughts are is that it seems like in our communication, and we do this all the time now, we're sometimes sharing in social networks. And I think what I heard you just say was that people tend to gravitate to which they already know and perhaps what they already believe in. For sure. I read a study recently about Facebook, and I caught myself doing exactly what the researchers uh, pointed out, which is that I tend to like and agree and share content that I already like, agree, and share with other people anyway. It's like I'm not actually learning a lot of new things. Of course, we stumble onto new stuff when when somebody shares something out of the ordinary, which mm-hmm. of course maps to why we remember it. Um, but is, do you think this plays a role in all communication? It's really not just about pre- presentations. It could be about social media, what we choose to share. Yeah, gotta, it could be gotta, social I gotta, media. I
0: gotta I gotta, gotta kind of wrap up because we're at the end. But we'll let Carmen answer that as a final one. This has been uh, the fastest. 30 minutes of all 84 episodes. So congratulations! It'll be memorable, of course. Um, let me just do a quick shout out to uh, Think of How the Company. Um, anytime uh, those are interested in this these type of episodes, I love what we're doing here with with Thought Leader Life because we we're capturing this content and putting it in multiple platforms. So a single video is being converted into four different formats and shared on ten different platforms because people consume data in different ways and people consume content in different ways. So I'll be very interested to see not just how many people watch or, sh- or, 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 or watch or view this on SlideShare or YouTube but also how many people listen on the FIR network or iTunes. Um, not only do we do it on, on podcasts but, but I like the aha messages that will come out of this and put in the aha amplifier and I could see a number of these in terms of habit-forming and habit-breaking uh, concepts that will come out of this. So uh, thank you uh, Carmen for, for for bringing this to our attention, making it happen. Let me pass the floor back to you. You can answer Scott's question or however you think the proper wrap-up is based on this conversation. What would you like to leave the audience with?
2: I enjoyed uh, Scott's reminder about the, the study and um, of course whenever we have uh, biases and uh, whenever we have these uh, heuristics which are essentially shortcuts to thinking that are so easily available to us, we tend to use those more so than uh, relying on some new routines or or new information. So as you reflect on your own content, wonder is there a shortcut to thinking that I can provide to my audiences in order to have an easier entry point onto their memory? And once you do have the luxury of being on someone's mind, Imagine what you can do next in terms of influencing their decision because the only reason why we're intrigued by studying how to influence other people's memories is to see how do we get them to decide in our favor.
0: Nice. And how do people reach out to you? And and clearly you've got a book coming out sometime soon. Anything you could share about that?
2: Yes, the uh, the book that's coming out soon is exactly on that topic. What are some pragmatic ways in which we can influence other people's memories when we can barely take care of our own? And uh, anyone can um, email me at csimon at reximedia.com with any kind of experiences that they've had when they were able to successfully reside on someone's mind for long enough where that person made a decision in their favor. If you have access to that you can have access to longevity, really, because to be on someone's memory means to stay alive for that much longer.
0: Wow, beautiful. Scott, how about you? How would you like to wrap up the show and, and actually wrap up the month?
1: Oh, uh, Excellent. I would say um, this is an important topic that we could talk about for a lot more time, but we're not going to today, so uh, come and join us, or you can see Carmen, actually, at Information Development World. Um, my conference that we're hosting to teach people how to think differently about content so they might be able to create great experiences with the information they share with their prospects and customers. That event takes place September 30th through October 2nd in San Jose, California, and you can learn more about it at www.informationdevelopmentworld.com. And I love doing this show with you, so I hope we get to do this again.
0: Oh, I do too, and I'm actually I'm looking forward to uh... – I'm actually at your conference, I'm actually going to show people and talk about exactly this. How do you take one piece of content, turn it into four different formats and share it on ten different platforms. So I'm actually excited to hear and get feedback from your audience, which you said is going to be very difficult. So that will be fun. Well, it's Um, going to
1: be exciting. All three of us will be there. We'll be able to uh, share our ideas and, and test our theories and see if we're right.
0: Well, Scott Abel, you are memorable. Doctor Carmen Simon, you are absolutely memorable. Which, by the way, I think the back of your business card should be in bright red letters: "You are memorable," and then you hand it to people, right? I just think that's what you're trying to do. Um, I love the show. Uh, this was great. Yes, Scott, we can do. We can probably go on for another couple of hours on this topic. I loved it. <laughs> But uh, but we got to stop and and uh, I'm only gonna have my people get mad at me for being you know uh, as over as we are. Thank you both for coming on today. Um, I absolutely love the conversation. I've got a handful of, of aha memories uh, in my head of things I have to act on, so I better go quick before my next show. Um, guys, thank you so much. We'll see you at the next episode of Thought Your Life. Thank, thank you both for coming thank on. You. Thank, you. thank you. Bye. This is Mitchell Levy, the Aha guy from Aha That. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thought Leader Life, where I'm joined by one of our thought leadership co-hosts to create compelling thought leadership that will propel their status in their industry. To learn more about Thought Leader Life, go to thoughtleaderlife.com. And to learn more about creating and sharing your aha moments, go to ahathat.com slash author, where you can also find a link to book a strategy call.